Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind always gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent guests we've had on JM and the AM. And this week, we get the opportunity through JM Rewind to relive some of the great moments from our journey to Israel. Our uh, NSN on the road, brought to you by our friends at Aaron's Casino Farms. Aaron's Casino Farms, they're getting ready to make sure everyone's Pesach on the road goes well. And uh, they were the uh, sponsor of our On the Road show. NSN On the Road in Israel was sponsored by Aaron's Casino Farms. Make sure to take Aaron's Casino Farms on the road with you this Pesach for all your Pesach needs. We'll start with uh, Dr. Shimon Glick. Dr. Glick from the Medical School for International Health, Ben-Gurion University in Beersheba. He joined us in Israel for a very interesting conversation. Here it is on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. And now, if you thought I know Dr. Jotko, it's a long time. Now I get to speak to uh, somebody I know even longer, and that is the legendary Dr. Shimon Glick, who is uh, here. And I, I, Dr. Glick, I am honored that you that you came to join us here today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. You, of course, know that uh, Hannah Shapira was my aunt. That's right, that, uh, right. She helped us significantly, as she did to all American Olim and Beresheva. So we have a close relationship. Derech HaMeshacharim. Right. Yeah, that's the place. Uh, Dr. Glick is the, uh, the Medical School for International Health co-chair of the Admissions Committee. He is, uh, of course, we, and we've spoken, the last time we spoke on the air, you had just received the Bonetzion Prize okay. from Nefesh Benefesh in recognition of everything right. you had done. You are somebody who, just a moment ago, we were talking about differences in hospitals and medical facilities between other parts of the world. Um, and uh, the United States and Israel, you you could speak about how different things are today in Israel compared to the 1970s. Your career in Israel began in the mid-70s, right. correct? Right. What were things like then in the field of medicine and when it came to hospitals and medical schools? Well, first of all, Israel is very foremost and, and very progressive in, in medicine. In fact, in many respects, better than the United States. Wow. Because nobody bankrupts as a result of illness in, in Israel Whereas the major cause of private bankruptcy in the United States is illness. Right. Uh, so that <clears throat> coming from the States, you think, oh, we were great and we're going to come teach the natives. It turns out that as much as we teach them, we learn from them. And uh, in fact, we have one of the people who was speaking today is a family physician now in Israel. And people come from all over the world now to see the system of computerization and connection in the Israeli National Health Service, so that we we nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, obviously, when we came to to Be'er Sheva to Soroka, the emergency room like had three four beds. <laughs> we now have the busiest emergency room in Israel with an unbelievable number of patients coming in every day. Right, and serving, I would and serving, guess, the largest serving area, the of largest area, half of Israel. Right. In fact, I, I always tell everybody that Be'er Sheva is the center of Israel. Right. People don't realize that. North, south, east, west, that's the center of Israel. Right. So when I was a dean and I was telling a group of Russian olim, you're great, you're coming to the center of Israel. <laughs> and a guy in the front row says, yes, and Siberia is the center of the Soviet <laughs> Union. That was one of the most famous put-downs <laughs> that I ever received. He was right. <laughs> well, Ben-Gurion's dream was to really put the people down in the neck of And little by little, we're getting there. Right. Now, uh, when, I, when we got there, there was a... 12-story building was a skyscraper. Now they're talking about a 50-story building, and the the city has developed. Jobs have come in. uh, High-tech has come in. 
It's, it's a new world. I mean, it's a real metropolis. No question about that. So is this is the medical school at Ben Gurion University? I mean, this all you saw this entire thing develop. Uh, I mean, you've been with uh, the university and with Soroka and medicine in that area of the country for all these decades. That's at, correct. At some point, the medical school, I assume, became an outgrowth of all of that. The, med- I, the medical school began in 1974. I got to Israel July 1974, and the first class entered. And we have one of our graduates here now. Wow. And uh, this was a, a really revolutionary medical school. It was not because they needed doctors. At that time, there was a surplus of doctors in Israel. Right. But we decided that we, you know, the people who created the school, I was involved with that, to create a different kind of medical doctor, a doctor who looked at the human being, looked at the patient, looked at his community. That was the whole thing. We taught, you taught the doctor-patient communication in the first year. Students didn't meet the the first patient in the anatomy lab as a corpse, but they met the first patient in the geriatrics ward in the community in the hospital. It's a completely different different attitude, and we selected our people that way, and and we have data which show that our graduates are very much desired in every hospital in Israel, and they're completely identifiable by the way they talk to people, by the way they care for the families. It's a whole new revolution, hmm. and this. International school right. basically is an outgrowth. It's a, it's like a a natural thing that has come out of this. And we were the first school in the world, basically, that has global medicine as part of its original or integral curriculum. So you meet plenty of students from the United States. Yes. Other parts of the world as well. Yes, we've had two students from Tibet at the request of the Dalai Lama. Uh, we had one <laughs> one uh, young lady who was a who was a helicopter pilot in the American Army in Iraq, a fighter pilot, okay? We had a couple of guys from Minnesota, a guy from Minnesota who was a failed farmer, and he came to Beersheba, and he grew corn in his backyard in Beersheba, and we used to have a corn fest every year. So we have a very fascinating group of people. Uh, the state of medicine today, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, the consensus among most is that if you're looking for good medical treatment, Israel is equal to the United States. I, I think you'd agree with that based yeah, on what you said there, earlier. Uh, yes, but there, there, I mean, obviously if you go to the mail, there are certain areas Specialties. of so really t- you know, very highly specialized things, which you, you can't beat the United States in that. Right. We're not competing with that. Right, although there are people who come from around the world, specifically to Israeli yeah, hospitals. Yeah, right, that's reason, correct, right? yeah. But I, I think we have to be be fair. And is there a, 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 a again, with with your facility and, and the city of Beersheba now being a center, a medical center that is servicing such a large area, is there a shortage of medical facilities in Israel? Is there a need to build more? Yes, there- yes, yes. We have a terrible shortage. We have the, the almost the lowest number of hospital beds per population of the OEC countries. We just haven't invested into it. The government has a lot of other priorities. And we're behind in the total number of beds, far behind. Uh, we're also behind now in, in number of physicians, okay? Believe it or not. We used to have a surplus when this... Yeah. Uh, but people get old, <laughs> as you can see. When Rabbi Fast was on earlier today, yeah. he mentioned that because there's so much uh, matriculation, I guess we'll call it, among the Russian Olim, that that generation of doctors is that's now right. not going to be servicing the public anymore, right. and they have to be replaced. Absolutely. And that's why he's encouraging, as right. are many, more North American aliyah among, that's correct. among medical yeah. doctors. An experience you had, you've been, you've been asked to visit the United States to, uh, to speak to people, I know. Yeah, we, um, we, we, we would like to see more people coming from the United States. We'd love to see more medical students come from the United States. I think we have a unique program to offer. Uh, just being in Beersheba and meeting the population that we have in Beersheba, 
It's almost globalized medicine in Beersheba. Right. We have uh, Syrians and Ethiopians and Russians and Bedouins. It's a fascinating uh, collection of people that the, that the students are exposed to. And how do we get more of the graduates to stay in Israel? Because a lot of the graduates do go to other areas of well, the world afterwards, right? The original plan of, the med- of MSIH now right. was not to have people stay in Israel. Because at the, when they was created, they thought there was a surplus. Mm-hmm. Now, as usual, always out of phase. <laughs> and not just in Israel, but every country. The, the experts tell you we're having a shortage or we're having a surplus. By the time the, the facts come in, the situation is reversed. But we now have an increasing number of, in each class, a number of students end up staying in Israel. And they've made an important contribution to Israel, too. I can imagine. And uh, I'm sure you would encourage anybody who's considering Absolutely. a medical career uh, to certainly I consider I think that's a great opportunity for for a young Jewish Zionist boy in the United States to come to this kind of institution and study medicine here. He'd get much more than just medicine. He'd get a real understanding of human beings, an understanding of different cultures. We train people to be able to be culturally sensitive. And the program is is similar. I always thought that in the United States it was longer than a four-year program, but I guess the residencies and all the different types of of, um, uh, parts to the medical career – well, I, I assume they, that the students go through all that as well, right? No, no the, the, we, the American schools have undergraduate college, then right. they have four-year program, right. okay? This is the same thing for the MSIH. The Israelis, up to now, have had six-year program that's before they go right from high school or right from the army. They're now developing four-year programs in Israel as well. So it's identical to what we have yeah. in the United States. Yeah. Uh, an absolute pleasure to have you on. I hope your family's doing well. We're doing very well, thank Baruch God. Hashem. Yeah, we're expecting our 87th great-grandchild this week. So, And you're being accurate with the count. My wife keeps me up to date, and we have a computer. <laughs> you, you need one in that case, let me tell you. We certainly do. Baruch Hashem. Thank Baruch you. Hashem. Great to see you. Uh, Dr. Glick, of course, a, a legend when it comes to uh, the medical profession here in Israel. And uh, someone I'm proud to know since I'm a little kid uh, and whose uh, family has always been uh, amazing. He has some great people uh, in his family. That was my conversation with Dr. Shimon Glick from the Medical School for International Health at Ben-Gurion University. Josh Struhl joined us at the Shari Tzedek show that happened last week during our journey to Israel. Josh is a super marathoner who uh, has a special story about Shari Tzedek and the role they've had in his life. Josh Stroll, my next guest on JM Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Wednesday morning live from Shari Tzedek Medical Center, part of our journey to Israel. Josh Stroll is with us. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Eight years ago, you had open heart surgery here at Shari Tzedek Medical Center. Correct. Would you mind, because I think it's important for the story, letting us know how old you were when you had that surgery? I almost turned 50 right before the surgery. Uh, Actually, now it's nine years ago. Um, Almost turned 50 just before the surgery. And at that time, before the surgery, were Mm -hmm. you described as active? Were you athletic? Were you uh, running, jumping? What were you doing? I was not particularly athletic. Uh, I was fit from work. I work as a plumber. Mm. So I was physically fit, but I wasn't into running or um, organized sports or mountain climbing or anything else. Was this this a... Uh, a surprise, and I say it like that because some people, you know, are constantly aware of the fact that they have a heart disease problem, and that God forbid, down the road there may be a more serious problem. Did this come out of nowhere, so to speak, for you? Yes, this was a big surprise. Um, I had caught strep A, streptococcus A, in my blood. I didn't know about it 
and my doctor sent me directly to Sharitzedek Hospital over here. For what we would call a strep infection. Oh, well, yes, but the strep wasn't in my throat anymore. It got into my body, into my blood. And most people don't realize that strep A is deadly. So he sent me directly to the hospital, and infectious diseases over here in Sharitzedek had me in for 17 days on four IVs, saving my life. So actually, Sharitzedek saved my life twice. So... Um, when they were when I was here, they said strep A is known to damage the heart. We're sending you for a heart scan uh, called the TEE. Right. And they did it, and they go like, "Yes, your mitral valve has been affected. It's in bad shape." You need a valve replacement. I need I need surgery. They didn't say. They, they said I met with the surgeon. He said it could be replacement. It could be repair. We don't know. The sooner you get it done, the better your options are. So a year later, I came in. And uh, I said, okay, we're going to do this. Sat down, spoke about the plumbing part of this with them and what my options were. And as it turned out, one of my surgeons, I had two uh, heart surgeons. One of them was Dr. Danny Fink. He was in Gush with me. Yeah, I know Danny. Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yes, he was in Gush with me. And uh, he was uh, one of my surgeons. And... uh, they ended up doing a repair, so I am all factory original. <laughs> <laughs> the warranty was good. Yeah, huh? I have a lifetime warranty on this valve. Uh, all this happens uh, yes. nine years ago, as you described, yes. and you you felt, even though, again, this is not something that very often, you know, with heart disease and then a subsequent mm-hmm. attack, whatever it is, people feel like, oh, I'm not, I've not been taking care of yourself. This came out of nowhere, and in theory, could could have happened to anybody. Like this could was happen- just. Uh, but the, nonetheless, psychologically, mm-hmm. it took a toll on you, and you felt that this was like, physically speaking, the the lowest of the low. Would that be a way of putting it? Yes, because after I was out of surgery, I was fit beforehand, even right. though I wasn't in right. organized shape. sports. Right. Right? I was fit, and I was so weak, I could barely get out of bed. Right? I was incredibly weak. And then it's like, this isn't me, this isn't me. Like, fight it, fight it, fight it. This is not me. And I was getting pretty depressed about this because I can stand up by myself. I can lift my toolboxes. Now I can't even get out of bed. And I walked over to the door of my hospital room and I'm leaning against the door and uh, the nurse comes over to me and says, do you want a wheelchair? It's like, no way. I'm not getting into a wheelchair. And I look down the hallway and there's a window 50 meters. It's 150 feet. From where you're standing. From where I'm standing. I go, I'm going to make it to that window. That window is my finish line. I'm going to get there. And I did it. And that was my first finish line. And then after I got out of the hospital, I was in uh, cardio rehab, which is required afterwards to get you into shape. And I started hitting cardio rehab with a vengeance. Like, I am going to get strong. I'm going to get strong again. I'm going to build it back. And up came the first Jerusalem Marathon. That was the first year they were having in 2011. And I go over to my rehab physiologist and go, I want to do that. And he says, okay, run and walk. Take it easy. I think that you can do it. So that was the first time I ever stepped onto a race course. Right? I'm standing over there. I go, look, I don't belong here. These guys are amazing. <laughs> they look like marathoners. Right? <laughs> like, what am I doing here? And that was the first time I stepped onto a race course. Now, next week is the Jerusalem Marathon. Right. 
That will be my 30th marathon. Unbelievable. And that will be running. Unbelievable. And you've done New York, obviously. No. Oh, you haven't done New York? No. I, I've done Hawaii, Maui. Wow. Right? And, uh, I'm, and Jerusalem every year since you Every year I run for Shari Tzedek. I am so happy to represent them and to help them in any way that I can. Um, I wear their shirts during ultra marathons, during 100-mile races. Where do those uh, take place, 100-mile races? Uh, there are uh, up north. They're near Yoknaam. How long yeah. does it take to complete 100 miles? Um, world class would be 24 hours or sub-24. I'm not world class yet. <laughs> I, I, I'm not there. I hope to one day get to that level, but it, it takes me quite a bit longer than that. So it's a lot more than uh, 50 meters, huh? Oh, uh, Yeah. So, uh, I am not. What an accomplishment! I, I'm not particularly fast, but I can go for a very, very long time, and I am so happy with all the care that I got in this hospital. And what one of the doctors said to me is, "Shari Tzedek is known as the hospital with a heart," right. and it really is. That uh, they, they and it gave you a new heart. Yeah, they, they gave me a second chance. The um and and the clock means nothing to you next Friday, right? It's, it's, it doesn't mean anything. You want the no, finish line. You don't, just the finish. You wouldn't even look at the clock if it wasn't if it wasn't up there when you uh, crossed if it, the finish. If line. it wasn't up there, I just knowing that I crossed the finish line and I did it with this shirt, which I'm wearing in front of you, uh, for Shari Tzedek, Just knowing that I did it is awesome. It's amazing. I, I love it. I'm not. I have an agreement with the Kenyans, though. <laughs> What's that? All right? I promised. <laughs> I will not get in their way, and they're not going to slow me down. Right? We, we say, you keep up to the front, I keep in the back. Even right? in Jerusalem, Kenya yeah, dominates, huh? Oh, yeah they're, 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 yeah. they're amazing. Josh Stroll is with us. Now, you did something unique. Um, if, not, if, if these 100-mile races, marathons, uh, and, and all this is not enough mm-hmm. to prove to yourself that you are, you're back after this experience at Shari Tzedek, uh, you went ahead and you... Um, uh, you climbed, where am I here? Where's my, oh, here it is. Um, you return to work in the plumbing business every year, August the 30th. Mm-hmm. You celebrate your anniversary of your surgery as if it's my a birthday. birthday. Yes. Last year, Josh decided to climb Kilimanjaro. Correct. That's Africa's tallest mountain. Yes, it is. At its peak, he held up Shari Tzedek's flag and explained, this is my way of showing my appreciation that I am alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kilimanjaro is how many feet in the air? 19,341 feet. Takes how long to get to the top? Uh, took us six and a half days. Take six and a half days. Yeah, there's not plenty of camping in between, etc. Et uh, one day while Shabbos we don't move. Right. Right. But uh, other than that, it was uh, about six and a half days up, a day and a half down. Who's the we? You went uh, with who? I went with a team of 17 people. And we were doing it, I was, as I was going in to pick up uh, the race kit for Jerusalem Marathon, there was a sign for Shalva, which is next right. door. Sure. And uh, they said, uh, fire and ice, a, a bike trek, a mountain bike trekking in Iceland, and climb Kilimanjaro. And I go, they both sound great. There's a challenge. Right? Do it for charity. I love what I'm doing, what I can do for charity. I said, sounds like a great challenge. Let's Even if it, it takes six and a half days to climb. Yeah. It sounds like a great, great opportunity for me to do something awesome for charity. Is one in great danger when they do a climb like that? No. Everything's taken care of. You have what you need. and Everything is taken care fo- of. Just follow directions. If you follow the directions and you take your time going up over there, you'll be able to acclimate. So if you take like six and a half days getting up there, you have 98% chance of... The tallest mountain in yeah. Europe is? Elbrus. And that, where is that located? That's on the border of Georgia and Russia. All right. And you do plan on climbing that mountain? Yes, I do. Which is approximately how many feet? Oh, about 18 plus. So about a 50% more of a distance than the 
Kilimanjaro. Yeah, it is. It is tall. And all of this because yes. you like to celebrate the fact that not only did Shari Tzedek um, save you in terms of mm-hmm. your heart, but they saved you in terms of your life. They gave me a second chance on life. Unbelievable. They, they really did. You've taken this to the extreme, you know. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, yes. There are a lot of ways. You know, you can write a check to Shari Tzedek also, you know what I mean? Come on. <laughs> I, I, I take uh, – my wife says I'm either type A or type Z. Either I don't. Pay attention or, like, I am all in, all the way in. Well, in this case, you are all in, to say the least. Josh Stroll, you look for him on the course of the Jerusalem Marathon a week from Friday. Um, And uh, he'll be completing that marathon like he has the uh, 29 prior ones after this experience nine years ago at Charitetic Medical Center. You've inspired us this morning, and I thank thank you. you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. My pleasure. A pleasure to meet you. Uh, We we heard it would be a great story, and sure enough, it was a great story. That was my conversation with Josh Stroll as we were speaking about Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. Next up is Nissan Yakubov. Nissan from Azer Mitzion uh, from their offices joined us to discuss what Azer Mitzion has meant to him and his family. A very emotional and amazing story. Uh, listen carefully to Nissan Yakubov, a conversation we had in Israel last week, part of JM Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. J.M. in the A.M. as we uh, broadcast from Ezer Mitzion here in Israel, day two of our journey to the uh, Holy Land, brought to you by Aaron's Casino Farms. Thank you, Aaron's. Uh, Nisan Yakubov is with us. Nisan Yakubov is a recipient of a bone marrow transplant almost a year ago uh, with what we are told is, and I can imagine that every story is uh, certainly emotional and full of thanks. He has one of those stories to tell us here on a Tuesday morning edition of JMNAM. Nissan Shalom. Shalom. Nice to meet you. Nice meeting you. Tell me something about the background of this story. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's, um, it was very unexpected what happened. Um, <clears throat> it, uh, <laughs> I don't even know. How long ago was it that you, you, you were told this news by the doctor? This was in September 2017. Okay. So pretty recent. Pretty recent, right? Uh, we was very into health. We were um, making sure that we did everything right. And then um, one day, my heart rate was beating very, very fast. I thought I had a heart problem until I went to get it checked. And I was told that I didn't have enough hemoglobin. And my heart was racing because uh, there wasn't enough hemoglobin. It was actually 5.5. And they told me that I, I had leukemia. It was uh, very difficult very difficult to uh, accept it and uh, we had to move forward it was, uh, <laughs> it was uh, did they quite... say did they say from the beginning that that the only way to get to good health is through a transplant through a bone marrow transplant what was the uh, what, what were the doctors telling you at that time right basically the doctors were telling me that uh, 70% of my blood was infected and that uh, I had to go through uh, chemotherapy, bone marrow transplant. It was uh, very hard to digest, and eventually we had to accept it and move forward. But when it came time, um, the hardest part was when they told me, uh, you need to contact your brother or sister immediately for a bone marrow transplant, which I told them, I'm the only child. There are no siblings. There are no siblings. And they were very pessimistic about it. They said, oh, my God. They said, uh, you don't have much time. We don't know if we can 
get you somebody. The chances of getting a uh, a donor is one out of 15 million, they told me. We're not sure what country. We're not sure if you have enough time. And... Uh, I basically... Uh, so so in yeah. addition to the... Excuse me, I just want to make sure I have this clear. Please. In addition to the chemo doing the job, right? Right, Because the leukemia essentially, to, I guess a, a layman can call it blood cancer, right? That's essentially what it is. Exactly. You called it infected blood. So in addition to the chemo doing the job, that bone marrow has to be replaced. That you need good, healthy bone marrow, right, to be transplanted into your body. You have no sibling. One in 15 million chance that there's going to be a match... What happened after that? Right. Just just to add to it, uh, yeah. um, I basically like to keep my eyes on God all the time and um, see his hand and everything. So uh, they basically told me that um, if I get a 90% match, they'll take it. Mm-hmm. But they said they'd have to force my body to accept it, and I would be on uh, all kinds of treatments. Medications. Medications right? to, to force it, which uh, at that moment... I had accepted it. I, I accepted it. it was a divine decree. I accepted it with love. And then the next thing I knew... We're uh, now in 2018, obviously, right? No, it was still... Still 2017? Yes, it was yeah. December 17th, mm-hmm. 2017. But a few weeks before then, I was told that an organization called Ezra Metzion had found a 100% bone marrow donor in Israel um, from an 18-year-old male we were all just shocked in a good way. We, Do we know, and I, I know that this isn't really your focus, but I'm just curious, at, at, does everybody search at that point? Like, are you in a database of people looking for matches? So everybody around the world, including Israel and Sion, are, are, are look, that's how it works, is looking for matches. Exactly. And they found 100% the person living right here in Israel. Exactly, right. Exactly. How soon after that did this person donate the bone marrow? About three weeks later. It was uh, it was on December seventeenth, two thousand seventeen. Like I said, um, the way they do it in Israel also is that uh, they they brought a um, about I don't know a little um, quart of uh, of uh, stem cells that, right. that they put into my arm intravenously, which uh, found its way into the bones and uh, grew into the uh, bone marrow. And I have to tell you that. Um, I don't know what would have happened. Right. We don't know what would have happened with the 90%. We don't know what would but have happened. But with the happened. 100%. With the 100%, I mean, what Ezra Metzion had done, not just finding the uh, the donor, but uh, everything that they did for us, for, for the children, and they took care of everything. I haven't even asked about your family, because that's one of the, that's half of the battle here, is, right? is trying to navigate everything with your family while you're going through all this. Right. And right. they were there, like they are for everybody. They were there, day and night, night and day. It was unbelievable. Uh, you've been healthy since then, Baruch Hashem? I have no words, Baruch Hashem. I just took a bone marrow test, came back 100%. I'm still in remission. Um, I'm, I have no words. I, I really have no words. God gives us land, He gives us rain, He gives us wind, and He wants us to do our part. Ezra Metzion has done everything. I mean, I don't know if people know this, but they have a program where uh, everyone who goes into the army, they do a cotton swab, they collect a database, and someone like me who comes along that doesn't have a brother or sister, they did did everything, they were prepared for everything, and 
God just made a match in heaven. I, I don't know what else to say. Um, <laughs> it's it's not usual where I'm not able to speak <laughs> during a conversation on the air. Right. You're, you, we are now speaking to a lot of of the Jewish English speaking audience in this world, all of whom are probably sitting like we are, almost speechless, and really most of them probably right now are thinking about their own situation, how lucky they, like I'm thinking right now, are to be healthy, how lucky we are to be given the greatest gift. You mentioned this incredible match that God did for you. Yes. We, who are Baruch, those of us who Baruch Hashem B'li'ayin Hara, are healthy and ha- are living healthy lives, have to remember that he's doing this the type of thing for all of us all the time. Absolutely. Which is unbelievable. Uh, so Ezer Mitzion, um, when we talk about them being there and performing miracles, you are a walking example of that. It's as simple as that. And if any of your family members were here, they would say the same thing. Definitely. <laughs> Unbelievable. Nisan Yakubov, a transplant almost a year ago, and uh, now Baruch Hashem because of the incredible work for years of Azer Mitzion. I-, I wonder when this person was swabbed, the one who eventually was the 100% match for you. Who knows? They could have been swabbed 10 years ago. They could have been swabbed... Oh. 18 years old, good point, good point, good point. An 18-year-old means that it was somebody who was just swabbed almost immediately before exactly. this episode, which was, is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's so Darabha for joining us this morning. I, I, in one way, I want to say we really could wrap things up right now because you've just summed up everything in terms of what this organization does yes. for so many people. But I really appreciate you being here today. My pleasure. Tadarabha, kolakavod, and continued good health. Thank you so continued much. Continued good health, and Thank we will continue to appreciate our good health, and everybody should continue to appreciate their good health. JM in the AM. <sighs> Uh, when you go to the Azerbaijan dinner tonight, you'll, you'll keep in mind that there are people uh, like this, like Nissan, who's, uh, who's got a wonderful family and who's been through great challenges. And Azerbaijan has been there for him in the most amazing way possible. That was my conversation with Nissan Yakubov during our visit to Azerbaijan in Petach Tikva, Israel. And I remind you, that Azer Mitzion has a Shabbat of Heroes coming up on March 29th and 30th with Chief Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau, Chazan Yitzchak Meir Healthgott, and an amazing Saturday night program led by Simcha Liner. It's all happening in Englewood, New Jersey, the final Shabbat of March. Make sure you are there. Go to ShabbatofHeroes.com. ShabbatofHeroes.com. Uh, next up is Matthew Miller, publisher at Corin Publishers. He is the uh, the leader of the amazing Koren team, and he joined us in our mobile studio at Koren in Yerushalayim. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nachum Siegel Network. We, of course, are on the road here in Israel, and our journey begins at Koren Publishers. It began as a small family-owned company in 1962 and has expanded into a global enterprise with publications in multiple languages and distribution to Jewish communities around the world. Koren has become such an important part of Jewish life all around the globe. Matthew Miller is publisher here at Koren Publishers Jerusalem and its imprints. And we get an opportunity to speak about the history of Koren and, of course, what's happening today. First of all, thank you very much 
for welcoming us here to Corin in Jerusalem. It's a pleasure, and um, is it really true you came here to avoid the snow? <laughs> we're talking about that. Some of us are very happy we're missing those storms, trust me. Well, this is amazing. You've, you've been with Corin for how long? Twelve years. And what was it like 12 years ago? When you got here, how would you describe Corin and its history from at that point? Well, Twelve years ago, it was um, three people, and they were publishing the Tanakh for the cities and a couple of Sidirim uh, and Machsirim and uh, today we have about probably 60 employees plus about 150 part-time um, we're selling now actively throughout North America, US we have salespeople in US, Canada, UK and of course here in Israel right. and uh, more importantly I think we've grown we've grown the brand, we've grown the, um, the imprints each has its own Meaning, and uh, I'm happy to talk about that if you wish. Oh, we will talk about it. Okay. Um, so it, it's obvious when you came in, you had a certain vision. You had a certain direction you wanted to see Koren move in. I think if anybody um, realized the implications of what they do, they wouldn't do anything. <laughs> um, I didn't know what I, I didn't realize the implications at the time. I thought, you know, I'm a Zionist, Dati Leumi, modern Orthodox guy. I didn't feel there was anything on the market for me. And I thought, having spent 20 years in England, getting to know Rabbi Sachs, and um, I just felt that there was a place that maybe if I could marry Koren with initially Rabbi Sachs, and then later on uh, with Rabbi Steinsaltz's works, um, we might have something. And boy, did we. Because back then, again, when you first got here, there was no real association with specific personalities. Would that be a, a safe assumption? Other than uh, Eliyahu Koren himself. Right. Yeah. Um, interesting character. Right. But, a very interesting character. But no, nobody of... Uh, no. But now what we do is um, we don't we don't have one Rebbe, so to speak. We work with outstanding, outstanding people. Um, like I said, Rabbi Lord Sachs, uh, Rav Steinsaltz. We work with uh, Yeshiva University. We work with the Orthodox Union. We work with the United Synagogue in England. We work with the ORD in Germany now, the Orthodox Rabbinah uh, Deutschland. Um, we're working uh, with many outstanding individuals within the Orthodox spectrum. Matthew Miller with us. He leads Koren Publishers. By the way, you mentioned the, the different imprints, so I, I assume we're talking about Koren first. Koren we reserve for Sidurim, Machsarim, Tanakh, um, Talmud. Right. Magid is a an imprint we started for um, Jewish intellectual thought, contemporary Jewish writing. Um, for the Rav Lichtenstein, Rav Soloveitchik. Um, oh, and but, some but the, but the, but the right. entire spectrum of, moder- of, of orthodoxy. Not just modern orthodox, but right. traditional orthodoxy as well. And uh, Toby, we reserve for uh, Jewish culture, Jewish fiction, Jewish literature, some politics. Right. And then Ofek and Menorah? Or, uh... Ofek, we, Ofek is an alliance we made with uh, Rav Shoshana from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he was in the Tel's Yeshiva. And we, um, he has done outstanding work in uh, going back to the sources, going back to medieval manuscripts. And publishing them, and we've become their distribution publishing partner. It's been wonderful, and um, it worked. And Menorah is a separate one? Menorah is a small one that we're uh, using just for some... Now, why, from a publisher's standpoint, why why is it beneficial to separate the works that are under Koren and Magid, as an example? Why is it beneficial to to have a separate imprint that has an identity, instead of it all being under a Koren umbrella? Because brands have a meaning. Brands have a real meaning. Um... 
in <clears throat> under Corin, you know, we we would like to think it's we like to think that Sidarim and Tanachim and Talmud they're the great works. Um, they are beyond the politics. They're, they're beyond politics. Exactly, the classical texts. Whereas, um, you know, under um, Menorah, under under Magid specifically, we our our point of view. You know, Chabad has a point of view. Artscroll has a point of view. I'm not going to be disingenuous and say we don't have a point of view. Our point of view is that there's a spectrum of orthodoxy. There's are many points of view. There's many points of view. So, you know, we published, you know, we, we're, we're thrilled. You know, we published uh, Rav Mordechai Villig. We published right. Rav Avi Weiss. Right. It's a huge, but it's a continuum. And I think it's important to have all these voices. You know, Rav Bleich, uh, Rav Sachs, of course. You know, um, there's so many voices, and it's such a richer symphony. Right. Um, speaking with Matthew Miller, publisher here at Koren, we're in Jerusalem at the beginning of our NSN on the Road Week in Israel. Um, you mentioned, and, and you've alluded to it a couple of times in this conversation already, the, the contribution that Rabbi Sachs has made to the Jewish world, in this case specifically through your company, specifically through your imprints, um, which, of course, many of us have taken notice of, plus Rav Steinsaltz. It's no secret that uh, the work that you – On the contrary, had, we're delighted and we're, we're it, very no, proud. Yeah, we're I'm, very proud. Of course, proud of – and you should be. Hmm. But my point is that that should I assume that without the, the – um, the regular products that have been coming out, and I mean regular meaning on a regular basis, coming out from people like this, it would be almost impossible to maintain this type of brand. That what One of the reasons that Corin continues to be so strong is because there's so much content coming out from international figures like that? Yeah, it's a very rich vein. It's a very rich vein that we're mining. Um, when I started, when I restarted Corin, let me say, when we restarted Corin, it never occurred to me to do a shas. Right. You know, I mean, who in their right mind would do that? <laughs> and now, uh, seven and a half out. Well, we've been working now. We're actually finished. Um, it's over. It's yeah, completed. yeah. It's, we're, we did. We did it. Um, there's there's forty two volumes in the set. Volume forty one just went to press. Volume forty two is going to press next week and uh, next month. And we're done. I mean, wow. Um, so, and and and. And Rabbi Sachs is um, is uh, the 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 um, the Megerman edition of the new Sachs Chumash and the new Sachs right. Tanakh. It's going to be well. I mean, I'm, I've been reading it. It's it's wonderful. It's we're we're doing something nobody's ever done before in, in these new editions, and um, it's going to be great. It seems to us that he's coming out with material constantly. Nothing wrong with that, right? <laughs> Um, to the consumer, Rabbi, Rabbi Steinsaltz Rabbi Sachs, and, and Rabbi Steinsaltz. Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 but there's so much. Stuff. Like it's hard for the consumer to believe that someone, that a regular human, can in fact produce so much material constantly. It's 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 really an amazing feat. Look, you're dealing with two particularly um, special, unique individuals. Right. Um, I don't know. They're on a different plane. They're on a different plane than me. You know, I'm not that smart. I'm just uh, glad that I'm associated with people who are that smart. But uh, they're just, they're just, and they're, they're so pleasant to be with. There's they're just a pleasure to be with both of them. I don't know how they get the balance right. I don't know how right. they do it. But um, they're human. They're um, deeply religious figures, but seriously, deeply religious figures. And, you know, you, you spend time with, with either of them and, you know, you're transported. 
you just transport away. It's, it's funny. It's but, but, but many of our... I was just going to say... But, but I mean, there are I, only two of maybe hundreds right, of... Right. It's, it's so published. funny you say that because I was just about to say that when I was preparing for this for this program and I'm reading some of the books that we're either featuring or you know that are by some of the authors that we're going to be speaking to, I'm saying to myself, my gosh, they are so invested in the topic. They are so – they've given their – you can tell they've given their, their, their heart and soul in order to give this information to the public. Um, yeah. They're, That's accurate, huh? It's absolutely accurate. But again, I don't want to – know, we are not just a um, – we're not – we do publish other people, by the yeah. way, just in case. Yeah, but there are yeah, but, in, yeah, in the hundreds, hundreds of them. Right? Hundreds yeah. of, them. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but we—I mean—the few minutes we have, I figured we should certainly sure, mention some of the some of the hallmark figures. Uh, speaking with Matthew Miller, publisher here at uh, at Cohen Publishers, and uh, I guess we owe you a big Mazal Tov on the Shas—that's for sure. Uh, we know the Siyum Shas is going to be happening at the. Uh, I thought you were going to be Mazal Tov on my daughter's wedding. And Mazal Tov on your daughter's Thank wedding you. as well. <laughs> Where they will or will not be giving out a Shas to each guest. Uh, I love my guests, <laughs> but not that much. But I am doing a new beer cone. <laughs> oh, there you go. And uh, imagine how many beer cones you have and how many varieties you know you, you have um... well i've got five kids <laughs> so for each one each, each one gets their own huh? yeah. but i'm saying in terms of co-red different beer codeim different sidurim different you know meeting Look, this needs. is what we do this is what we do i mean like this, this a little thing like beer konim what would be the big deal we're doing beer konim not just nusuch ashkenaz but it's really important i mean the values of let me just make a little speech sure. the, the values of Koran when we first came together with them, where they, they pushed all my buttons. You know, they were halakhically, no, no discussion. They were the highest level of halakhic authority and textual purity. The best. Design was very when important. When you mean the, you mean when the I took it, When I took it over, the classic you mean corn. The classic, the classic right, corn. Right. The design was always important. There's always, you know, it's something that's always appealed to me. And, you know, they were Zionists. You know, they were the original Zionists going way back to, you know, they, they fought in the wars. Mm-hmm. Yet when we came in, we added another value, and that was, they would say, bridges. We build bridges. You know, whether it's Rav Sabato in English, Rabbi Sachs in Hebrew, we're now publishing in German and Spanish. Um, we are trying to get this message across that there is a modern world that a, an Orthodox Jew can be very comfortable in. Um, and... Um, I just feel that, um, you know, we have published, for example, not just the classic Ashkenaz stuff that, you, that you're that you familiar mm-hmm. with in North America. We published the first ever Amharic uh, Hebrew Sidur, the first ever Jewish Amharic, um, Amharic uh, Chuma. Thank you. You're holding it. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, this is it. I'm, I'm more proud of this than I am of the Saks Sidur. Because, wow, that's because, quite a statement. No, because who else does this? You know, I'm so proud that we've reached out to the uh, Ethiopian community. I'm so proud that many of our Birkinim, they have Ashkenaz and Sfardi together, you know, because it's important. Um, we have to build bridges. If anything worries me, it's the increasing gap between North American mm. Jewry and Israeli. We have to work together to bring that to closer. And, and, and among the bridges you've built, 
uh, is, as you mentioned earlier, with some of the prominent major Jewish organizations who have become, I don't want to say publishing houses, but in some ways have become like uh, like annexes for you, right? Have they become partners with you? I think I think they think I'm annexes for them. But, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, no, we're, we're I think partners in the full sense of the word, right? Yeah, and, no, and, and it's a happy it's a happy partnership, you know, whether it's the ORD in Germany or the United Synagogue in England or the uh, the OU or the RCA. We we just published the new RCA. CD right. Um, yeah, no, we're we're thrilled. We're well, thrilled. All this is hard to believe. It took only twelve years to get to this point, frankly. Um, we work very hard. We have such a good team. We have such a we have got such a great team. I can't begin to tell you. You're going to meet some of them today, sure. But they're yeah. I've been in business now for forty years. This is the best team I've ever worked with. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah. I'll tell you. Uh, congratulations on all of this. You are, you ma- so you are making such a worldwide impact. We certainly feel it in North America, that's for sure, and, and in the New York, New Jersey area. Well, fools but- rush in where angels dare not tread. <laughs> Let me tell you that. That's the philosophy behind the entire operation. I guess so. <laughs> but I also mentioned that we were in Atlanta, saw an incredible display at the Young Israel of Toco Hills of oh, everything yeah, Koren, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, that's, there. that's good. Shul, good part, it good certainly partners. is. And, and and then in general, the again, through the personalities and the different works, the the impact that you're making worldwide is amazing. All from this office here in Jerusalem. Well, from the 50 to 100 people that are working here, yeah. Right. Thank you so much for hosting Nothing, us here Thank you and welcome to Israel and I State. appreciate it. And that. next time, make Aliyah. <laughs> That's a good message, actually. Matthew Miller is publisher of Cohen Publishers in Jerusalem and all of its imprints. And That was my conversation with Matthew Miller, publisher at Cohen Publishers in Jerusalem. Orly Gutman is next from the Jerusalem College of Technology. Orly joined us during our broadcast week in Israel with our friends from JCT. That's uh, the next conversation here on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Thursday morning broadcast, speaking with the Jerusalem College of Technology. And Arlie Gutman is here. Arlie is Director of Strategic Partnerships for JCT. She has a, um, a perspective on the innovative initiatives that JCT is involved with. And everything all right? We're okay? Arlie Gutman, shalom, and welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you. Great to be oh, here. Oh, I see what's going on. He's offering you that microphone if that's too loud for you. So it's up to you if you want to switch. But if you're okay. I'll switch. It'll switch? Okay, so grab that one and we'll be fine. Uh, we have learned so much about JCT in the last half hour. You can't imagine. Let's First, hear. What have you I learned? Mean, I, I'm thrilled that there were some students here. Students yeah. who went to New York, New Jersey high schools, who then came traditionally to their gap year in Israel. Yeah. And then decided, when they found out about JCT, to actually make Aliyah stay in Israel and pursue further education with the Jerusalem College of Technology. Good. So you've already learned a lot. I've already learned so a lot. So we're good. We're to, done. To say the least. Um, but we, you're the Director of Strategic Partnerships yeah. for JCT. And partnerships in what area? What does that mean? You're looking to partner with whom? It's a good question. Uh, it's deliberately vague so that <laughs> we can do many different things. One, uh, JCT asked me to, to join JCT in order to increase the added value of students with regard to industry. So what we've done is we've worked with many, many different companies. About I think we're up to about 60, 70 companies now. Wow. And we bring them in to do programs with us. For example, one of our programs was a cyber program where we worked with the uh, National Cyber Bureau from the Prime Minister's Office and the Rashi Foundation's Cyber Education Center and about 21 different companies in the cyber 
in the cyber area. So that includes aerospace and defense, startups, multinational cyber companies. And we worked with students who were outstanding graduates of engineering, all religious, Haredi and Zatilumi, modern orthodox, which is incredible, because these people had never really been in that industry before. And the country was seriously missing out on this huge pool of talent. So we took these amazing students, right? Some of them with like payas and beards and sitsis and, and these women who are married with babies, you know, some of them, one oldest of 11 children. And they studied cyber very intensively along with these companies and a specialized curriculum after they were already engineers. And now they're working in aerospace and defense. It's incredible. And the people in those industries had never seen people who looked like this before contributing to Israel in that way. It's amazing. It's the Kiddush Hashem. It's, it's fantastic. Oh, I agree with that. Um, so the, but the, if I could interrupt for a second. So the first stage was really getting that community familiar with what JCT does. Because as you just described, they need that degree first before they pursue any of this. That's right. So those students were already students right. who are graduates of our own Which, which is an accomplishment in and of itself. It's a, it's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. And you're right. It's something that cannot be understated or, or underestimated. We have 4,400 students from 23 different countries. Many of them Israeli. And the Israeli Haredi public or ultra-Orthodox public traditionally hasn't gotten degrees. So for... We're clearly doing something right. We respect everybody's values. We try to make everyone feel comfortable in that environment. We we have separate campuses for men and women, and they're coming in droves. We have over 2,000 Haredi students, which is incredible. That's unbelievable. Um, and men and women. Men and women, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, where we're, and about 45% of them study engineering, which is incredible. Um, something else that we're doing with industry is we created an entrepreneurship program because this, this our, our communities, both modern Orthodox and Haredi, ultra-Orthodox, besides for cyber, they really didn't know what entrepreneurship was, right. um, especially in the high-tech ecosystem. Um, they also didn't know what hackathons were. Does anyone here know what a hackathon is? We're familiar You're with familiar, it. You're familiar, but, but for our funny, audience. But what's funny is I'm trying to think about them coming into something like so that. So let me tell you what happened. <laughs> so hackathons, for those who don't know who are listening, are sure. technology marathons, where in about 48 hours, teams work on previously unseen challenges. Right. And they have to develop a tech product in 48 hours. Our students did not know what a hackathon was, obviously. So that was even more challenging. We brought in all these different companies. Intel was an amazing partner. IBM, Aline Children's Hospital, Hatsala, etc. They all came. Now I'm against Vina Zone. Um, so they came. They provided challenges. They say, this is something we need solved. I'll give you an example. Aline Children's Hospital sets us, we have kids in wheelchairs. Mm. They don't have so much control over the wheelchairs. We're scared they're going to bang into walls or God forbid, fall downstairs. Our students took that idea. And they developed a sensor for wheelchairs, like a mobile eye for wheelchairs, that can beep or stop when it senses that there's an obstacle in front of them or on an angle like stairs. And the judges, most of whom are non-religious, but were very involved with the tech ecosystem, were sitting there with their mouths open. They had never before seen men or women you know, guys with sisters hanging out, <laughs> keep us on their heads, beards, women, and our women's hackathon, we had nursing mothers there, right? So they're surrounded by babies. They're holding a baby in one hand and coding all night with the other. They had never seen these men and women talk about electrical engineering, electro-optics engineering, software engineering, and developing amazing, amazing products. Our women, can I say something about our women? Please. Our women um, got a uh, challenge from Intel, and Intel said, we have a problem. When, God forbid, there's a mass casualty incident, it's all crazy. Everyone's going crazy, right? right? It's total chaos. What do we do? So 
our students developed an electric bracelet. These women, these 20-year-old women, right, who study both software engineering and electronics, they developed an electric bracelet that a paramedic can talk into the bracelet, describe the treatment he's already provided, and triage is done automatically using algorithms, as well as figuring out which hospital will be the appropriate receiving hospital. So these young women did this in less than 48 hours, obviously won the prize, and they've already gone on to win other hackathons, these women. It was so exciting that this, we finished on a Friday afternoon. Sunday, I started getting calls from the municipality, from investors saying, we heard about your women. They call them girls even. They are girls. We heard about your women. We want to see what they've produced. So two weeks later, we brought six teams over to JVP, which, as you know, is this huge you know, investor platform um, here in Israel. Um, and these women presented to them, these young, young women presented six tech products to a room of investors two weeks later. So this is something that the community has never seen before, but they love it. And now the students are coming up to us and saying, what else can we do? When's the next one? What we do then is we take many of these groups and others into our entrepreneurship program, into what's called a pre-accelerator, and they develop these products for market. So we have one team there who's working on drones. They're providing (laughs) drone services. As a retail item. Well... I mean, commercial, yeah. That commercial item, right? Exactly right. So we have another team that has worked on software to help tutors and, and huge institutions. Um, and it's incredible. Another, another team, I'll give you another example. We don't care if our students fail. We're like, no problem if you failed. If it didn't work out the first time, you now have the skills. What are you going to do with them now? We had one student. He was in our pre-accelerator. His product, he worked really hard. It just didn't work. Most startups don't work. What did he do? He took the, that skill set. And he transferred them to an, a senior project he had to do in his fourth year of engineering. And he, because of the knowledge that he had, he was able to turn an academic project into a startup. And what it does is it optimizes traffic lights in high-density areas. And then Jerusalem Municipality is now doing a pilot with this student's project, which is now a startup. Unbelievable. It's great. Unbelievable. So, yeah. I can talk about this forever, but I think we only have 10 minutes, so or- keep going. <laughs> Orly Gutman is here, Director of Strategic Partnerships with JCT. The partnership that – one of the partnerships that we were intrigued by earlier was this um, – was people who are graduates of JCT who are now in Army intelligence, frankly. And yes. It, I can't so, talk about it so much, but what's your question? <laughs> so aside from industry and entrepreneurship and those companies that you mentioned who have tremendous interest, right. the Israeli Army has tremendous interest in the graduates. Yes, that's all I can say. No, no, no. And they're looking, I, I guess, for specific people who could do so, tremendous right. things behind the scenes. Right. So um, in at JCT, we have different groups of students. Some of our students come to JCT first, get an engineering degree, and then go to the Army using that degree mm. in the Army. And that could be software, electro-optics, et cetera. But some of your graduates never even think of going to the Army, frankly, I would think. Well, it depends who. So we have, let's say the Datilami, the modern right. Orthodox, right? We'll do that. Right. Or they come after the army. Um, in the Haredi population, most don't go to the army. Right. Some do. But even they afterwards may be working in the defense industry with their degrees. Right. But yes, the army comes and among those students who do their engineering degree first, um, sometimes the army units have to fight it out. We have interest from, I, I don't know what I can say. I can say this. We have interest from... A naval unit. We have interest from well, intelligence. Intelligence. Units, well, for right. Sure. right. Um, yeah. 
and they and they will battle it out until they it, got the right people. Right. What <laughs> what I can say is that we've had um, numerous, I think, 12, 15, 17 of our graduates who've already gotten the Israel Defense Prize for their work in are in the army and in intelligence. That's remarkable. They can't really say what those um, what those prizes are for, right. but we can say that and their family has no clue what the prizes right. are for. We, we can say that <laughs> that it has involved um, helping with terror tunnels and also fixing a satellite that otherwise would have cost probably um, five hundred million dollars to fix. And our student was able to develop algorithm to fix this uh, this army satellite. So unbelievable. Yeah, it's great. Your graduates. Is it safe to say they have no trouble getting jobs after they graduate? Would that be a good way of putting it or not? So that's an excellent question. They have no trouble getting jobs. What we're trying to do is to make sure that they get the best jobs that they can. Mm. Because so many of our students prior to their education at JCT, they may not have parents who work or they may have parents who work in very different types of professions. They don't really know the market. Um, and especially on the Karate market, they may not have the connections that other people do, especially from the Army. So that's why our industry programs are so important, so that while they're still in their undergraduate degree, we're having them touch industry in so many different areas, they get that experience, and then what we find is that industry recruits them right from their undergraduate degree, right. and that's our goal. So you basically have served for the familiarity that they don't have. You've given them the familiarity in the market that they would never have known growing up, that companies never heard of in their whole experience. Right. We try to give them that familiarity with the market. We also try to give them skills that the market needs. They right. need to learn entrepreneurship. They need to learn innovation. We don't care if they have their own startup or they use those skills to be very entrepreneurial in larger companies, in the larger multinationals, but they need to change the tfisa, as we say in Hebrew. They need to change their perspective, realize, have, have confidence in their own skills, and realizing that they really can use their creativity in so many different ways. They don't just have to go somewhere and program and code. Phenomenal. They can do so much more. Orly Gutman, Director of Strategic Partnerships for the Jerusalem College of Technology. Thank you so much for being here today. You so much. <laughs> Pleasure to have you here. Unbelievable stuff going on at JCT. And we have the opportunity to speak to people who are either experiencing it firsthand or are facilitating it firsthand for their students. That was my conversation with Orly Gutman of the Jerusalem College of Technology, which occurred last week in Israel. NSN on the road last week in Israel, sponsored by Aaron's Casino Farms. Make sure to take Aaron's Casino Farms on the road with you this Pesach for all your Pesach needs. More coming up here at the Nahum Siegel Network, and of course, next week, another edition of JM Rewind. Thanks for listening to NSN. Keep it here all day long at the Nahum Siegel Network.
אותי זה כל מה שהם 